Hello and welcome to the Bad Music Hurts Podcast, the show where my siblings and I chat about our favorite records. This is episode 12, and we are going to talk about Father John Misty's Pure Comedy from 2017. With me today, as always, is my brother, Michael. Hey, Michael. Hey, Mark. Here, um, recovering from a cold, you know, all the usual. <laughs> you sure it's just a cold? I mean, the, the cure is a corona for Lyme, right? That's what that's what Dad was saying. <laughs> I, I, I'm... I'm <laughs> I am more wondering, are they going to, like, rebrand after this? <laughs> it's n- I mean, I realize they're to- two totally unrelated things, but <laughs> it's not a great association, yeah. you know? Find your beach. Yeah, find your beach. We are not sponsored in any way by Corona. We're never going to be sponsored. Who no. wants to sponsor this? No I want to sponsor this. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're here to talk about not the virus, but pure comedy. So, Michael, you and I, we had homework to listen to this over this past week. I'm curious, because I I know I sent you this way back in the day when I actually bought this in 2017, and I don't remember hearing too much about it. Like, I think you said it was okay when you listened to it the first time. So, I'm I'm curious, like, what, what was your first impressions, if you remember, back in 2017, and what's your new impressions on it? now in your homework for this episode and also you you were the one i think that even suggested this as a topic for the next episode so i'm curious like why this all kind of came up for you recently yeah yeah so i guess for first impressions yeah back when you send it to me i'll be honest i didn't make it through the whole thing i played it a little bit in the car and it's kind of one of those scenes where i didn't have a commute that was enough of a duration to make it through the full thing so it just kind of was one of those scenes where the music app lost my place and I just kind of didn't really feel compelled to go back to it. Um, this one is definitely one that requires active listening. This is not an album, in my opinion, that's one that you put on in a car and then you just kind of commute because it's, it's instrumentally doesn't really have a whole lot there um, to digest. Um, so... That was kind of my initial impressions. And then I'll be honest, I don't think I've listened to it all the way through until the homework for this podcast. And the question you brought up was, why did I suggest this? And the reason being, purely of the yin and yang between this and Kamasi, I wanted to switch something that was very much dense on the lyrical side, as opposed to what Kamasi's, uh, the epic was, which was very much a instrumental overload so i thought it was uh it would be fun to dive into something very different after our three episode stint into uh musical jazz yeah and it's definitely a return to form like we started this podcast on a very lyrically dense work with lord huron there's a lot to dive into in lord huron's lyrics and works so it is sort of a return to that that style of, ooh, there's so much juicy stuff in the lyrics to interpret and read into. So it is nice to kind of return to that from the songs that we're used to now and from the three-part run that we did for Kamasi Washington's The Epic. So yeah, it is nice to come back. And you you made an astute observation that this is not really a, a record that's conducive to being listened to passively, like when you're doing homework or driving and, and and he actually later in the album 
pokes fun at people that do that, like on the regular, like that's all they do when they listen to music. And that that is a sizable chunk of the population. How many people actively listen to music, like as in they're active participants in the experience. Most people throw on music and it's serving a utility of just putting something on the background while I do something else. And later on in the record, and it's one of my favorite parts on the record, he actually even pokes fun at people like that. Like, do you usually listen to music like this? Like, can I get your feelings? Uh, your feedback's important to us. Like, uh, kind of poking fun at them almost like they're a machine, like a, a drone that is uh, just being catered to by an algorithm because what do you care? You're not really listening to any of this. You don't care about the content or the quality. Um, so that th- that that is very much uh, one of the components of this album is that it is very dense and purposefully so to kind of, serve as a foil to the status quo of the 50 indie playlist uh, of the summer, <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. One thing I didn't know when I was diving into speaking of indie, I had no idea uh, that this guy was part of Fleet Foxes. Oh, there's the elephant in the room. Yeah. Yep. And um, I mean, he. I, I don't know much of the history. I don't know if he would like me to bring that up. But yeah, he was the drummer, from my understanding, through Helplessness Blues when they toured for that. Yeah, it was a, a big thing that broke not well. And I'm not going to go too much into detail here because truthfully, no one really knows the details other than the people actually involved in this, uh, like the members of the band themselves. And potentially those like actually close to them that know them. All we can do is speculate. And the general consensus of the speculation is things broke bad near the tail end of the tour. Differences in opinions, uh, you can read into it more, but I, I don't think then we can say with any degree of certainty that's correct. So I think it's fair to say they had a fight, like a big fight, and that was kind of the end of it. And the tour kind of fell apart after that and their relationship fell apart after that um and you do see echoes that that was the case that it wasn't just a differences in opinion it was an actual fight of we can if we can read into the material in robin pecknold's uh which is the leading man in fleet foxes his follow-up to help us blues um what is it in 2019 crack up mm-hmm. where he very much kind of covers the effects of a kind of fight or breakup that isn't really covered in too much explicit detail, but one can read between the lines that, well, this is the first record that comes out after Fleet Foxes was effectively disbanded, also effectively after Josh Tillman and him kind of severed ties and went different ways. So we can kind of assume and paint in between the lines here, but yeah, it, it was not a good situation that uh, they're they're breaking up. Yeah. So I'm curious, what um what were your initial thoughts when you first listened to this uh, when you first downloaded in 2017? So, uh, I was back in college in a huge Fleet Foxes kick. I, I do love Fleet Foxes still. Hop and Blues is my favorite record of all time. I've said this numerous times. And that was informing a lot of my exploration at the time. Like, oh, artists like Fleet Foxes. And that did help me to some extent find some uh, artists that were at least tangentially similar and from there would spiral out into genres I maybe haven't wouldn't have explored otherwise. But one of the suggestions that was commonly brought up was Father John Misty, which is Josh Tillman, which, you know, as we said before, is the guy that was playing the drums on Helpless Blues and had this big breakup with the, that band. So his solo material. Um, and I did give it a listen. At the time, the only record he had out was Fear Fun. Um, which is his uh, uh, like official debut LP. 
And I did not care for it <laughs> at all. I despised that do you, record. Do you, do you enjoy fun, Mark? I fear it. <laughs> Yeah, I did not care for that record at all. I think I listened to it once, maybe didn't even make it all the way through, and I like just uh, turned my nose up to it and never went back again. And uh, after that, I basically took a pass on his sophomore LP, I Love You Honey Bear, um, from 2015 or 16, around there. And I just, I, I maybe listened to a few songs off of it, maybe liked it a little bit more, but I just like, I didn't, I really didn't pay it any mind. So then I see Pure Comedy come up, the third LP. And I'm like, well, I mean, I gave the last one at least a tertiary look. I might as well give this one a tertiary look. Um, I don't know why I kept trying his stuff. I guess because I actually did like it, but I my framing going into it was always wrong. Where I was coming from, I liked Fleet Foxes, so I might like this, which is just totally the wrong mental model to be going into Father John Misty work with. But th- that was very much negatively coloring my perception, probably even still in pure comedy, but I sat down and I listened to uh, a few songs and I absolutely loved it. This kind of broke me out of that mental model, kind of woke me up to, oh, this is good. I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. And I was hook, line, and sinker buying the record by the end of the third track leading into the beginning of the fourth track. I was head over heels in love with everything this album was doing and saying and the way it sounded i was all in on it and it has this was like the crowning jewel that an artist can aspire for because it's um it was one of those records that then i could go back to their past material and appreciate them and actually like them when i didn't previously or was impartial to previously. I went back to Fear Fun. I actually really like Fear Fun now. I haven't yet gone back to I Love You Honey Bear, but that's on my list to actually go back to and um, explore in a way that I didn't give a fair shake to in the past. So it's this basically changed me over uh, with just a few listens in the first few songs, which is tremendous. That's a really hard thing to do to change someone's mind. And not only that, but to like to change someone's perspective, their framing going into a thing with just a few songs into the album like that. That should speak volumes about how good this work is. Um, I don't have too many notes on a song by song breakdown here. I do have some things. If you had things you wanted to, just so we could, you know, have some uh, rapport going back and forth if you wanted to go that way. But um, my goal here this time is really going to be laser focus, or I'm going to try to laser focus on trying to explain to you, the listener, why you might like this stuff, or to put it more accurately, how you can frame your mind going into it to potentially get something valuable out, where you might not otherwise if you just threw it on in the car because someone told you to listen to it, or you threw it on while you're doing homework or writing and whatever, um, to actually sit down and listen to it and potentially with some of the framing that we'll try to prep you for, you'll be able to have an easier time digesting this stuff because it is there. I mean, it's a dense lyrical album. There's a lot to take in here and it can be overwhelming the first time you listen to it in the same way that uh, Benji can be very overwhelming just by how much lyrics are in the thing. So having someone kind of prep you for the tone of the work and what you can expect from the work and what we personally, you and I 
appreciate from it, you might have an easier time being able to experience those for yourself, or at the very least, have an appreciation for it where you might not otherwise. So the note that I have here that I think is a good summation of this record as a whole was from an uh, an interview that he had with The Guardian back when this was released. Uh, and he was making reference to one of the lyrics in the uh, uh, Leaving L.A. song, which is the sixth track on this record, where in the lyrics he describes an event, a traumatic event he had as a child where he was walking through J.C. Penny with his mom and he started choking on the watermelon candy he was eating at the time. He's there choking, his mom's freaking out, grabbing him like, someone please help my son. And he remembers distinctly hearing Fleetwood Mac's little lies playing on the speakers uh, in the store at the time. And he had, and he said in the interview, if this song is playing at this moment, then life is a joke that this song is playing while this little kid, me, is dying in a department store choking on watermelon candy. Like, it, it's ridiculous. And that's the tone of this record, is just dark, sadistic comedy throughout. But what makes it palatable, and, and this is what a lot of people miss, I think, they, they get turned off by how cynical and sadistic a lot of the material is here because it is, you know, I mean, it's dark comedy. That's kind of, those two come, come part and parcel. But the thing that I think really makes it palatable and interesting is the sincerity that's also there in equal measure at every single point. It is both there in equal measure, the sadistic nature and the sincerity there. So he's delivering these dark comedic tones throughout, but is very sincere in what he's saying and what he's thinking. So these are values that he holds, but it's more of like in the middle because, you know, he's inflating the stuff because it's a work of art. So everything's inflated. The sadistic nature of the jokes is inflated to the nth degree, but also the sincerity is inflated to the nth degree. So it's, it, I see, I feel through all these extremes and the way he's presenting this material and his thoughts, I get a better sense in the middle of where he is as a person, you know, that's, the framing I think you can take going into this that you could um that gives you a sense of what you can expect out of this record. I mean that's a very interesting, I guess, kind of opening statement regarding that. And I, I would agree that there are hints of uh I, I would say hints because I didn't I didn't catch as much on my listen throughout most of it, but I would say leaving LA and the final in uh in twenty years or so were the moments that I really appreciated in this album because like you describe very aptly is the sincerity in them where it's almost like the facade and character kind of gets broken a little bit it's more candid it's more honest and the closer is just a nice i i describe the closer as a nice bow on top of this album because he kind of ties it all together and makes you kind of understand okay I see kind of who he actually may be in as a person where like you're saying, I think you bring up a very good point that a lot of this is inflated for the artistic form, right? To kind of the shock and awe and to get a reaction almost and get people thinking about things. Um, but I think you're right that the, there's truth to the hyperbole, right? There's, there's something, the, the nucleus on which the scene is blown out of proportion with, um, it, no, it's interesting to bring that up because I, I have a couple opening statements of my own regarding this. That there are so many fun tangents and topics and like philosophy that can be discussed in this album where 
I now kind of understand that even going through this as a whole, I still found it a little bit hard to digest, even active listening. So I guess my opening statement for the listener would be, if you find yourself getting fatigued, don't tackle this album in the sense that I need to finish this all in one go, but rather listen to the lyrics. And if there's something that piques your interest, I would say stop the album there, pull up the lyric sheet and read more into it and just think. Like, I, I think it, this is a fun album to do intermittent listening on and think and discuss. And I, I, that's how I would advocate uh, people functionally uh, listen to this. I think you bring up a lot of good points in terms of how they should um, mentally prep themselves. That's why I would add into like the mechanical function of how they should listen to this is don't be afraid to pause it after halfway or song by song even. Um, though I will say, um, I find myself getting a little, I guess the cautionary, uh, cautionary word for the listener would be, I found myself getting a bit tired with the album towards the end, mainly because I did do it all in one chunk to prepare for the show. And something I found interesting from that was I knew I was feeling some things I knew weren't 100% warranted, where you mentioned hyperbole, and I think that can be a good, useful art form, but I think that the way Father John Misty executes it could be very jarring to some and could result in some having a knee-jerk reaction. For example, like there are a lot of fun topics here, it's just the cynicism to a certain level can get a little, yeah, a little tiresome, like I was saying, and it, it, I found it hard to resist the urge as I kind of, towards the end of it, as I was kind of missing those moments of sincerity, where I could very much see the pitfall of this album being, and he kind of addresses this, like you're saying, in the, like, does this music music make you depressed? He kind of like, he's very self-aware, but I still want to call that to attention that the listener may listen to this, and it's very easy to slip into the viewpoint of, uh, it, like knee-jerk reaction of, oh, this is glorified, I'm 13, and this is deep, edgy, angsty cynicism, right, and critique. So it's 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 very easy to slide into that. So that's why I advocate, like, know that this album is almost encouraging that through the hyperbole. So that's why I'm kind of advocating take it song by song if you need um, to get the value out of it, because otherwise I think it's just very easy for person to also get cynical by it because it's just a little much um the last point i got here on my opening statement that i want to make is at the end of this album it reminded me a lot of the comedian bo burnham um i don't know are you familiar with bo burnham mark vaguely yeah okay so he he's a very different style comedian and i think he's a great example of he kind of mirrors Tillman's critiques and his kind of like style, the hyperbole where, I mean, Bo Burnham has it in his comedian skit. He has a song and he plays on the piano. That's all about making fun of the pop song industry where he smashes the keys and, uh, and it just like turns into a robot. That's just saying repeat stuff, repeat stuff as he's just like mashing on the keyboard. And he takes a similar form. He takes a hyperbole, but I think I, it was a kind of a fun mental exercise looking at Bo Burnham's work in comparison to Tillman's, because I think 
they're both around the same duration. Bo Burnham's comedian stand-ups are standard around an hour, and this uh, this album is also around an hour. So both deliver a certain level of like cynicism, critique, and commentary. But the way Bo Burnham goes about it is a lot more. It's a lot more consumable for say the mass audiences, and the fact that. You get the cynicism, the commentary, the hyperbole with spoonful of giggles and like self-deprecation and upbeat tunes. Um, and you get to see the facial reactions and the animation of him on stage. And it, it really works well for him. I think Tillman's, the whole persona of Father John Misty is trying to convey something very similar. But in my opinion, just the main pitfall of this album is you're missing that, say, perception of body language it's so much a communication especially of sarcasm right and i think the execution presentation of this work can be it's a little too it's on the somber side it's piano ballads um and the humor is very slight and sarcastic so it's like if you're not paying attention you will miss it um so it, it it's not worse i just don't think it's very conducive to the relaxing and bulk listening consumption. So I guess all that to complement what you're saying that, yes, I think you bring out very good points of what the listener should go into listening to this, but I would add all on that, that just know that this is going to be encouraging that reaction, that knee jerk reaction and take it song by song because there is good stuff here. It gets you thinking. There's, like I said, there's a lot of fun tangents and philosophy to discuss in this album. So to briefly touch on one of the things you mentioned about how <laughs> you mentioned, like I'm, what is it? I'm 13 and this is deep or whatever. <laughs> um, my note at the very end of the record, one of the kind of summary notes that I had was there are elements of baby's first existential crisis here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like, nothing really matters, man. We're all going to die in the end. We're all just floating on a rock in space, man. And, like, I think that people hear that, or people that are critics, typically, of Father John Misty or Pure Comedy in particular, which, let's be clear, there's a lot of people that love this record and a lot of people that hate this record. Some people oh, I bet. really <laughs> hate, really hate Pure Comedy and Father yes. John Misty. They find him insufferable. And I would imagine that... It's because of things like this. They they hear like this thing that he's saying about like basically like nothing really matters. You need to calm down. We're all just floating on a fucking rock in space. And and hear like, wow, you're really deep, man. That doesn't really matter. It doesn't like solve the problems we have here. Like, screw you. But I and this is what I think is so great about this is is that starkness and the drastic perspective changes he does like uh, as a part of that. So. A lot of times with this record, he's going to be changing perspective from like a single character, a singular point, and suddenly switch to a galactic scale, like frequently within like a few lyrics, um, and and then back again. And it's kind of throws you off a little bit how much he's playing with your perspective and worldview. It's like, oh wait, now we're focusing on like the galactic uh, perspective, and now it's back to this this dude in a suit, and it's um, and that's all to facilitate the kind of the the cultural zeitgeist in 2017 um <laughs> let's remember people this was made and released in 2017 2017 was pretty wild yes. now things have calmed down a little bit now either that or all my mute filters on twitter are working but people <laughs> were losing their fucking minds yes. like absolutely 
losing it over the election, over basically any kind of political thing. People were losing their minds. This was also around the time I think uh, Brexit was starting to become a thing too, Oh, right? God. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. Remember the time here, people. It is wild in 2017. And that's why I look at his perspective here about guys like we're all just floating on a fucking rock and i look at that and i don't like coil away like some people do because it is all to facilitate this time frame this historical context in which it was written in because people needed this they needed to be told okay guys you need to calm down just a little bit because Mm -hmm. when you get so full of hot red air like that nothing happens nothing happens and 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 you're just making yourself a worse person. You're not doing anything to help anybody's situation. It's just screaming and yelling at each other and stomping your feet. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at this, and I see all of these drastic perspective changes from singular events and singular people to, like, the universe and all of the, the multiple times, the multiple times here where he mocks extremes. Not a particular extreme, just... Extremes. Extremes in technology, using technology too much and total entertainment forever. And I guess you could say entertainment as a whole there. And even to that point, even the commentary, he mocks the extreme of that in A Ballad of a Dying Man, right? I mean, he even mocks that. He, he And it's almost even self-deprecating, the right? activism, he mocks the activism yeah. too. And he does, and uh, things that would have been helpful to know before the revolution as well. He mocks political movements. He mocks worldviews and two wildly different perspectives. He brutally like mutilates religion in pure comedy yes yes so it this is all to tear down all of these extremes people were working themselves up into corners over in 2017 and trying to get people to kind of coincide back on like stable ground and so that's why i look at that like i'm 13 and this is deep and i'm like yes finally we have like a voice of reason in 2017 like uh, uh, it's funny father john misty one of the only voices of reason and level-headedness in 2017 with pure comedy but that that's it is i mean you bring up a very good point yeah th- i mean thinking extremes extremes in terms of mental exercises and i think as father john misty has shown has been they can be very helpful um, for understanding, say, systems. I mean, you look at, for example, like, I'm going to engineer here a little bit, but you look at, say, like, design of experiments, or you look at um, maybe control system design. You may throw extremes at your system to understand how it responds. There's so much you can learn from that, right? And I think this is this is true even for, say, philosophy, where... I remember we had, uh, at Marquette, I had a philosophy professor that was really good at this. He would get kids going almost. He would get them on the spot and he would keep asking them like, but why? So what if we did this then next? Well, what if this? And he just kept on taking it then to the next level and always kind of making it the next extreme and the next extreme. And then it makes you challenge of like, okay, what what do I actually believe here? And what is the actual interactions here? What are, what are all the factors at play? Like, where do we draw lines? Where do we, I don't know. I, I find it very helpful to think extremes for, for this sort of things. It just to, to play with ideas. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, this is a great 
um, a great venue for it, and I think Father John Misty has has a great time. I mean, hell, look at even the album art, which I'm, I'm sure we'll go into more discussion on. Oh, we'll get to the album art, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's um, it, it is very entertaining though, just to think about it. I mean, like, that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of being back in philosophy class at school, and it was fun. It was kind of fun where Father John Misty was almost like my teacher in the sense that he would take the idea to the extreme and then it's you kind of let it let the idea break down under its own extremity and you kind of look at the pieces and you try to f- make meaning of it, right? Mm-hmm. And you try to understand and I, I think it's quite fun. Yeah, no, for sure. It's a, it's a very useful tool um, to use not only for like beliefs, but yeah, from engineering perspective, like finding your tolerances and things like finding your tolerances in tolerances in the system you built, like the mechanical electrical system, but also finding your tolerances in your beliefs, your thought processes, your, your worldviews, like that's incredibly important exercises to take. Otherwise you can easily get lost or lose the bigger picture of where you, and, and sometimes not even realize that your own beliefs have changed over time. You need to stretch out your arms, kind of find your bearings and decide, okay, am I still actually here or not? And then realize, okay, no, I'm actually not here anymore. I'm a little bit over here now. And that you, the way you do that is by feeling out the extremes there. Like, okay, this, do I believe this? Do I believe this? Well, what about this nth degree? What about this nth degree? And then from there, zero back in and find where you fall. Um, so yeah, very, for sure. And I didn't forget to mention before when I was talking about the extremes, uh, no one is safe here. It's not like he's mocking like all the darn Trump supporters. And it's uh, also, it's not like he's just mocking all of the like Democrats and like, uh, no, he mocks humanity. It's yeah, humanity period. as a whole. No one is safe here. It's like the Simpsons. Um, yes. <laughs> and so I'm, I, I don't know if it's, t- if, uh, we have enough time to go song by song here, but there is, um, one or two songs that I definitely want to call attention to is like standouts to me for one reason or another. And one of those is uh, the tr- fourth track, Ballad of the Dying Man. Ooh, okay, I was hoping that you wanted to dive into this, yeah. Naturally, the dying man wonders to himself. Commentary been more lucid than anybody else And had he successfully beaten back the rising tide Of idiots, dilettantes and fools On his watch while he was alive Lord, just a little more This is perfect. And this was what I was talking about is no one's safe here. And a lot of the time, and you might be screaming at us right now, both of us talking to white dudes talking about like, well, like if someone's right, then who cares? Like if you're right and being extreme and right, then that's good. So screw you guys. Like, well, Battle of the Dying Man, I think sums this up perfectly. This this guy is on what we would assume to be Twitter. It's never really uh, officially discussed, but it's Twitter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and he's he's like taking it upon himself to correct all of the homophobes, mm-hmm. the false feminists, the one percent, and who who. 
who will critique them when he's gone because he's he's a dying man. He's on his deathbed trying to get that last tweet out. Screw you guys. Love wins. Oh, and then like losing his life and trying to refresh his feed one last time before he loses his breath just to tell those people off. And and it's what's so great about this. What's so genius about this is he's not wrong. But no. at the same time, he is. He is wrong. <laughs> like, maybe don't spend your every waking day shouting at people over Twitter or over the airwaves or in real life or whatever, um, and instead trying to do something, you know? Like, be the change you want to see. Be positive change. Be a positive person. Um, and, and at the end here, uh, uh, Father John Misty says, like, Josh Chilman says, well, we'll all be wrong someday as the dying man suddenly realizes as he's dying, like, oh, maybe this is a bad idea. <clears throat> and it's, it's a message of compassion and empathy. And the important thing here is the buck for being kind doesn't stop at being kind to people that are easy to be kind to, folks. Being a kind person means being a kind person. That's what that means. And this is all delivered over a gorgeous gospel choir that only comes out in this song, and at the end of this song, it's the only time they show up. So, like, the, the constraint and the scarcity of this choir and this song only, it makes the impact and the effect so much greater because it's the only time you see them. It's like, where the heck is this coming from? All of a sudden, we have this gospel choir screaming at the top of their lungs. It's it's poetic. It's gorgeous. I, I, I would implore you, if you're going through this record and maybe you're starting to, to fade away like Mike Michael was uh, near the tail end or sometimes even when I do. It's, it's a dense listen and it's a long listen. It's every bit of an hour and 15 minutes. It's a long record, but I implore you, if, if you pay attention to any of the songs here, pay close attention to Ballad of the Dying Man. It's funny, darkly funny, but also very important and sincere. It's, this is like the platonic ideal of what I was talking about in this record, about the uh, farce and the sincerity in equal measure, bewilderingly at the same time. And it is done so here, where he is genuinely serious and sincere, but also completely making fun of it. And it's a farce. Like, this guy's on his deathbed refreshing his Twitter feed. No one's doing that. But at the same time, it it is making an important... It's saying something important. Yeah. And I think it's... I think, to go off your point, it's sincere in, in, a, in a deeper sense, because it, you could probably look at this as a self-critique, where he's almost kind of critiquing himself through this own hyperbole, right? Because... I mean, that's what he's doing throughout this entire thing is he's taking these to extremes and he's critiquing, right? And I think he's kind of sort of, I, I think you bring up a great point about the historical context, but I mean, he can't not be thinking that this is kind of off also me in this moment. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's what's really potent about that is it brings up very interesting points about criticism is it's, it's hard to be a critic and avoid the persona of like being all knowing or having the self importance or, oh, I'm, I'm righteous. Yes, this is correct. The whole self importance is inflated to where like the song alludes to it's, it's his role. It's his job. I have to till the bitter end clean up this mess. And, and in the end, it's like, it's really interesting. The bubble of like the self-importance and the self-righteousness and that role, it's like, it's questioned and popped in the final moments. 
And I love that, like, perhaps he was clueless to begin with. Like, did, did he really know? Because I think what's really interesting, say, about, say, you look at platforms like social media and our general news aggregate cycles now, and things are high level because we have so much information. And if you are on social media, you only see the high level of other people's lives or their opinions, right? And... I think that's what's very easy to slip into for, say, criticism, is it's very easy to slip into the fact that you are looking at high-level picture and you forget, what is the context of this? What is the nuance? Because then, if you understand the context and the nuance, it's a lot easier to instill a sense of empathy, where, for example, uh, I really like the the podcast, No Dumb Questions, and... Uh, the co-host Matt brings up very interesting points that like he's a firm believer and I would agree that everyone more or less wants the same thing. It's just kind of like, okay, how do we, how do we get there? Or like people may differ, right? Of like most people want good for their fellow man, right? It's, it's usually disagreements there. So it's understanding the context and a nuance then I think Able's that empathy, but I think it's very, that's one thing that I got thinking about with this. I thought was kind of a fun thought exercise is it's just kind of the criticism as a role in society and how it's changed, I think, where it's a lot more knee jerk. And um, for example, the book, How to Think is a great example. It discusses this at great length of you are not part of a community if you feel like you have to affirm your sense of rightness. That is not a community that is almost borderline like a cult. <laughs> it is almost ex- very exclusionary, like, oh, you must affirm your belief that this person is wrong or this scene is wrong for you to be accepted in the community or club. It's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's not a community. That's very exclusionary and very kind of culty and it's it 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 devolves actual critical thinking and i don't know i had so much fun with the song because it just got me thinking about those topics and it's very easy with to be that critic say on on the on the twatter or on the the twitter twatter (laughs) on there and it's very easy with that high level perspective that I was getting at to put people in buckets, to taxidermy other people's views um, and create your tree. Because, I mean, hell, that's what we're like inclined to do with everything. We're inclined to sense patterns. We're inclined to bucketize people. But like so, like the topic, so you've been publicly shamed. It, like, dear Lord, it we need to understand that, okay, you may hold a belief and you can be accused on social media for it, but... People are allowed to change, God. <laughs> like, they're allowed to have an opinion at one point in time and realize their errors, as is the critic in this video, and perhaps come to question, okay, maybe I wasn't so right after all, or I probably, sh- probably should be changing and ultimately maybe change their opinion. Um, I don't know. This this song was fun because it got me thinking about all these, uh, all these subjects of, like, criticism as a whole and kind of how media is now kind of changing that, I guess, right? It is what you're saying. Like, it's, you got the individual opinions. They're not necessarily wrong, but, you know, you you are wrong in your, the way you are using these thoughts and these beliefs, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like, everyone now has a platform, right? 
I mean, hell, we're just two random Joe Schmoes that created a podcast. And albeit with a professional microphone. And so that way we sound actually... Let's be clear. The, the <laughs> microphones we're using aren't professional. No, they're, no. They're I'm prosumer t- at best. Yes, I know. <laughs> so, but I mean... um you know, it got me thinking a little bit about what we're doing. Initially, I th- I thought it was kind of cool, like oh, we're doing this this thing, like oh, we're in, we're like important. We have a podcast, oh. <laughs> um, but it got me thinking. I mean, like that's these are the thoughts this song got me thinking about. And I mean, ultimately, what we enjoy uh, doing this is that like people don't give a fucking shit. Like <laughs> this is more or less just an excuse for us to host like book club or music club for ourselves to structure our conversations yeah. and actually just enjoy talking music. I'm fairly certain our only listener is Katie, yeah. who was a guest <laughs> at one point. Which is great. Thumbs up yes. Katie, we love you. Yes. Um, but yes, we don't yes. really have an audience. Yes. It is basically just for our own enjoyment, like the, the book club aspect. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's what I think the song also should get people thinking about is that everyone has a microphone nowadays um, through the platform of social media. And I think that was exhibited greatly in um, the happenings of the context of the time, right? So, no, this was interesting. I I agree. I'm glad you called this one out first. Um, This was a a fun one to think about and, and discuss. So let's let's talk about the self-titled because I actually really like the self-titled because I think it brings in the album as a whole and sets the tone and the main topics through which Father John Misty plays with, right? And it's it's quite fun. You have this like disorienting TV commercial radio hoo-ha to like bring you into the experience. Um and it's more or less like you're saying, he ta- he plays with perspective. This one is very much from the perspective of like, okay, if we had an intelligent life form alien look at our society from like a UFO, what could they per- perhaps derive if they are l- perhaps a bit cynical, right? And it is quite fun, all the topics that he briefly covers over in here. For example, we got comments on selfishness, you got religion. Our f- communication, um, money, politics, the self-righteousness and self-importance uh, of the selfishness. Like, it's, there's so much here that he quickly goes over that is just so much fun. Um, and I love it because it sets the stage for the album. It's, it's purposeful. Of course, this one belongs at the beginning of the album because it makes sense. It wouldn't make sense anywhere else on this album, in my opinion. It's, it's almost kind of the mission statement of the record yes. because it covers so, like, it makes fun of so much here that is covered in more detail, let's say, uh, later on. And the curve of this song, it has very modest beginnings and it grows and grows and grows in scale in terms of not only the topics being covered, not only the perspective of covering those topics, um, and not only the the kind of the weight of the lyrics and but like the instrumentation even like swells and grows steadily throughout it's a wonderful crescendo of a beginning into yeah. the record as a whole mm-hmm. it's almost like i'm envisioning this alien life form when it's like 
comedy. Like he's like slapping his knees and disbelief. Like people are ridiculous. Yeah, are you kidding me? From like his UFO. Like that's the that's the vision I have with this, and it's quite fun. It's quite yeah. fun to envision. I, I um, gotta call out. I think what is my favorite? One of my favorite lyrics on this record. Go for it. Go um, for it. I like your thought experiment here about it's almost as if like an alien is watching this. Um, an alien's comments on religion, risen zombies, celestial virgins, <laughs> magic trips, these unbelievable outfits. Yes. And they get terribly upset when you question their sacred texts written by women hating epileptics. It's ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous and completely offensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's all oh, that's. Ah, uh, that's what I love about it. He's offensive to everyone here. <laughs> My favorite lyric on this one is again, like I think the, the the humor is subtle. Like you, it's not like gonna be delivered to you on a silver platter here. You gotta be listening to lyrics. So, um, I mean, it is tried and true dark comedy. Yes, what I love about this is like, like say half of us. <laughs> Are periodically iron deficient. I thought that was fucking hysterical. Because <laughs> it's like, it's so random and you so don't like, you don't see it coming. And that's where it's like him back to the persona of like, oh, I'm a human now. And he like bounces about around with it a whole bunch. I, I love that lyric. I think it's hysterical. So yeah, he touches about all these other topics. Like for example, he touches on like selfishness, right? Where like how... The, the alien life form or like how I'm self-imposing this. I don't know if this is what he actually intended, but um, anyway, I'm running with it. So like this alien life form, right, is like, oh, this, we're born as like helpless little half-formed baby and we're so dependent on our parents. And then we eventually evolve and we believe we're at the center of everything. And I thought this would be like a really interesting thought experiment because it's like it got me thinking of like, you know I wonder how much someone could defend, say, if someone thought they were the center of everything, how much they could defend that or even provide a visual to help, like, I don't know, justify it in a sense. Like, I think it would be really interesting for every person to be able to see on like a global world map. Here's actually where I have traveled. And maybe like, I mean, you look at, say, dot mapping or like heat mapping actually showing how many people they have had like an actual human interaction with say like an actual conversation and like heat map that and i think it 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 would very much highlight how small the scope is of like our bubble of interaction and you couple that then with the fact that we as humans then are very much geared to habituate things, to make things habit, to recognize patterns, to fall into routines. It's our instinct for survival. And I think it's, I don't know, it got me thinking about that. Like, it's very interesting because it's very easy to slip into that mentality because of those things. It's hard to remain humble and take a step back because it's very easy for us and it's in our evolutionary benefit to view each one of us as the protagonist in our own story. And we are the focus. We are told into the first person, right? So, I don't know. I thought this was really interesting. It got me thinking about it, too, because uh, Kaylee got me a really cool scratch-off map for United States for nice. the national parks. It's one of my goals um, to visit all the national parks so I can I could scratch off each one. And it's like, I'm like, oh, cool. I'll already have a big chunk to cross off of this. I start scratching it off. I'm like, 
fuck? It's like nothing. <laughs> We've been to five. <laughs> uh, yeah. More than that at this point, but. No, but but even like I was saying, even in terms of like the scope, I mean, this is just a map of the United States, right? But even like, I'm like, oh, Channel Islands, that was a big trip. And I look at it, it's like, oh, these little, little tiny little, little islands off the, off the California coast. And even like Rocky Mountain National Park, huge fucking park. It's huge. You look at the map though, it's like this tiny little thing. So, um, I don't know. I think that's, it's fun because th- these songs got me thinking about those perspectives and kind of general human nature with the extremities, right? Mm-hmm. It's like to bring up a very good point of religion. It's, it, it was very interesting as commentary on that and communication. I found this one funny because dear Lord, it is so so fucking hard sometimes to effectively communicate and actually convey your actual inner thinking to someone else's monkey brain right oh yeah um and yeah and how he how he essentially alludes to like oh and if someone doesn't understand it could just like inflate or uh make us demean them and perhaps inflate our sense of rightness oh you can't possibly understand like oh you just i'm not it's not that i'm not explaining it correctly or uh, or that I don't know it enough. It's just that you're wrong and you just can't understand because you're fixed mindedness, right? And I, I think that was kind of interesting. It's just like it, the alien life form could look at how much and how integral and ubiquitous our communication is and how much and so how often it fails. <laughs> um, and oh, there's, there's so much here I could talk about. There, there, it, it's just fun. Yeah, it's a great opener. I would say not my favorite on the record, even though it's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to touch briefly on things that would have been helpful to know before the revolution. Great song. Really fun. I, I could talk a little bit about some of the uh, the themes throughout, but what I would like to touch on instead is more the imagery, because I feel the imagery here is so great, particularly when he's describing the revolution happening and its uh, eventual success, where you can really, like, you can feel, like, in your stomach, skyscrapers falling down and, like, industry coming to its knees and just, like, everything grinding to a halt. And then on a dime, you can feel, like, falling snow gently falling on your forehead and uh, smell like a crisp air. It, the imagery in that particular chunk is gorgeous it is expertly executed Mm -hmm. and um that's going to be one of the things i uh implore listeners if you do listen to this record and if you find yourself kind of slipping in and out and find yourself like "Eh, maybe it's not my thing at at least look out for this little bit because i i feel it's a a jewel in the middle of the third song for sure um you'll know when it comes up it it hits you like like a throw to the stomach so Mm -hmm. definitely look out for that yeah, I I agree. I love the instrumental cadence of this song. Just like the general like pacing and feel of it. It just feels good. It's like a bored brooding malaise. Yes, exactly. The revolution's done now. Oh hum, now what? <laughs> My social life is now quite a bit less hectic. The nightlife and the protests are pretty scared. Spend the long days walking through the city. Empty as a tomb. Sometimes I miss the top of the food chain. But what a perfect afternoon. 
I think it's just very interesting because he plays with the idea of, okay, yeah, ho-hum, now what? It's like, okay, now we're in this, like, chaos, anarchy, almost like Lockean state of nature, right? Where, like, there's no society really anymore. It's like tribes <laughs> and everything. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking, like, what would be the hardest thing to deal with for yourself if you we like had a state like that right if say like society fell apart or whatever we're back to this chaos this anarchy well protecting loved ones that would definitely be it yes yes uh yeah i agree that mine is my other one is a little bit trivial is that because i think the song kind of touches on those is like harassing deal off would be to a certain extent, just like it, you have no convenience with anything. <laughs> Some lack of convenience around here. Yes. Very <laughs> disappointing. Yep. And um and just general health would be like very difficult to maintain, I believe, with that. But one one of the lyrics too, like I was kinda of like the iron deficient lyric. I still like how he's like, We're all still pretty good at eating on the run. Oh, like, that's a great line. <laughs> <laughs> one of the other great line drops on here is near the end where it's very much heavily hinted at that in the end nothing really changed from this big revolution because he's like oh but there's some visionaries among us that are developing some products to help us in our struggle to survive it's like and and thus begins the cycle again yes (laughs) nothing ever changes so Just delightful. I love that he put that in there. We're just like, yeah, great. You did it. You did the revolution. The cycle begins again. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I'm curious on your reaction to Total Entertainment Forever. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yes, I do too. Um, I was curious, though, because um, as listeners may know, you're very much in the tech industry. Oh, yeah. For and sure. and um, I don't know, there was some very potent um topics and things that were discussed in the lyrics of this i'm curious though i first want to like open up to you i mean do what what were the things that really stood out to you in this so this isn't anything particularly challenging for me because i already i basically already vibe with the themes here and i have for a really long time i mean if you go on my website i have a why vinyl article that talks heavily about you know at the literal text about why vinyl uh, is a, a appreciated part of my life as opposed to just purely listening to digital artifacts when I listen to music. But at the broader context, when you between the lines, it's it's really more about appreciating and making sure that I keep analog in my life, that I don't just fall headfirst into entertainment and electronics. And really, those two are really tightly coupled nowadays. I mean, unless you're going to see a live band or a live musical performance, which um, a, a fair amount of people don't do, or at least don't do on the regular. Um, it's really entertainment equals electronics nowadays. They're very tightly coupled. Um, so I've very much been making conscious choices in my life, like my notebooks and my itineraries. Those are all literal paper uh, manifestations. I carry them around with me everywhere. With the music, I try to, when I listen to uh, music, I try to listen to like physical things whenever I can, just because uh, I can disconnect when I do that for a little bit. And when I go on vacation now, I also try to like, to the best of my ability, turn off the phone. Now, granted, I think capturing photos every from time to time is great, but you know, I try to at least turn off the cellular so I'm not just constantly checking Twitter while we're trying to enjoy a vacation, you know. So the themes here didn't really stand out to me as anything 
noteworthy to me. But I did really love the instruments here, the production. There's like a brappy brass here that's not too dissimilar from the Dap Kings in uh, A Sailor's Guide to Earth. It sounds like you have some things you want to say about it. So, what were your takeaways? No, I I think he brings up some very good points that I think yeah, many people don't. I mean, like he's thinking extremes, right? So it's it, it helps highlight then and gets us thinking about how what we consume for entertainment and how it may be affecting us, right? Um, like for example, he says it's like all the images have all become real and someone's living my life for me out in the mirror, and I think it. It is something to recognize to not get too comfortable with deriving vicarious satisfaction out of watching other entertainment. Like if you're, you really enjoy what another person's doing, whether it be a travel blog or whether it be, I don't know, maybe someone that's doing a how to on a hobby that you really like want to get into, come with those scenes that like don't use that as just the outlet. To satisfy that urge, use that as the facilitator to go out and do it. And I don't know, I, I think it's very, it, it's hard to actually enact that belief because it's very easy to derive that satisfaction from just, say, watching a video or watching someone else. And then the excitement kind of just peters out, right? Yep. Something calories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, also, I thought, like, again, with just, he's pretty good with lyrics. I like the opening. What was it betting Taylor Swift every night inside the Oculus Rift after so Mr. and the Mrs. finished dinner in the dishes? Like, so great. Oof. <laughs> oof. <laughs> no, it's a really interesting one because it's like, dear Lord, I do not envy parents that have to raise kids nowadays going through puberty. Because, dear Lord, that's like, I mean, how how do you how do you manage that and deal that? Because you have a super horny kid that has everything on the axis of his fingertips and has the potential to pretty much like hijack their reward system without even knowing it and what that may do to them, right? And there's some like really interesting like you look at the extremes. Of course, everyone has painted like dystopian of of vr and that's what it made me think of is those dystopian pictures of someone just on the bed with the vr headset and then it's like this la la land that they're in and enjoying and they're like decrepit right so um and again for the listeners this is someone that did a research project in vr in my undergraduate <laughs> so yeah I, I feel very comfortable poking at it and saying that i don't see i see value in certain aspects but I, I would advise cautionary progression <laughs> on many of it. Um, almost like uh, what Elon Musk is doing with AI. It's just very much implement it, but understand what you're doing. And yeah. Um, no, this one was just interesting. I mean, it, it got me thinking of those topics as well. Like what happens when and if AI and automation gets taken to the extreme, right? And you have majority of the population that's unemployable. 
like what does life turn into then like what will people do will people get sucked into this entertainment forever like father john misty is is saying is is that necessarily a bad thing like is i don't know it's just it, it was kind of like interesting to take it to that next extreme right yeah he actually comments on that when the archaeologists find us in our holes they'll find smiles etched on every face a decrepit face that are rotting away and it's like well i mean they're happy is it a fulfilling life to them I guess so. But yeah, he, he he doesn't go too far in the judgment one way or another. I think I think he does lean more towards the like yeah, maybe don't be plugged in all the time, but he does he does say like it's not like these people are necessarily unhappy to be doing so. I mean, people are literally dying with smiles on their faces. And the archaeologists are like saying like wow, this must have been a wonderful place. And like it's kind of Mm, it, it's kind of not, but it kind of is. And there we go with the duality again. It's mm-hmm. constantly throughout this record. So that's the, yeah, it's always keeping things fresh in that way where it's not incredibly dull and one sided. It's not just painted with a single color. Or if it is painted with a single color, it is painted in a myriad of different textures. Um, so I, I, I alluded to this earlier in the episode. Uh, track 11, the memo. There's a particular part in here where the music kind of stops during the bridge, and there's a digitalization effect put on Josh's voice, and he's talking to you, to you, the person that is listening, like, how would you rate us? And um, your feedback's important. Do you usually listen to music like this? And um, it's very unsettling not only because he's talking to you but also because of the effects on his voice and the fact that the music kind of stopped and scattered throughout this are text-to-speech vocalizations of just the most vapid things you could possibly imagine like music is my life and this is totally the song of myself or la 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 like it is <laughs> ridiculous and i i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast it is so potent there that he is trying desperately to wake people up that are just putting garbage on repeat listening to whatever spotify has spoon fed you this morning like do you usually listen to music like this like wake up like explore things be an active participant um Mm -hmm. what do you like do you like this stuff do you really have you actually listened to this stuff and i think that is a very interesting and important thing to put in this record um because i don't think any musician i've listened to has done something like this like broken just completely shattered the fourth wall in such a severe case like this um i'm curious what did you think of this like this segment here um that's interesting bringing up because i have no other notes for the song outside of quotation marks this is totally the song of the summer (laughs) and (laughs) this guy gets me i'm just i totally agree that was that was um the highlight of this song for me it was that was fun it was fun. I, it almost like it kind of reminds me, at least in terms of the what I would imagine the mind state of Josh going in. It reminds me a lot of 
oh, what is it called? In Bloom. There we go. In Bloom. Uh, I imagine like Kurt uh, and Kurt Cobain. I imagine it's kind. Of, I'm seeing similarities here, where it's like people that aren't actually listening to the music, your fan base that aren't actually listening to the music, will be like, "Yeah, I love this song, man." And if you listen to the the song, he's making fun of you. <laughs> At least in the case of In Bloom, like, oh, you know, he's sitting there loving this song, loving his gun, do 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 do, and and people are going like, "Yeah, I love this." Song. <laughs> it's like, well. Uh, have you, have you listened to the song? Um, and in another case, like, there's the Born in the USA, people love that as a triumphant tune. It's like, dude, this is like, this is a really sad song. Like, it feels good, but have you, have you listened to the song? Um, heck, I mean, what was it like the, it was the Segway music and like some Fox News segment for a long time. I remember because I remembered hearing it growing up and I'm looking back at it and I'm just like, did they know what they were doing? Did they know what they were playing? Like, it's basically blatantly making fun of your beliefs and your <laughs> your worldviews. Like, have you listened to the music? And he's doing something very similar here, channeling that same energy of like, do you really, like, are you listening to this music? Are you actually? And there's some historical context here where I think... Josh was kind of negatively affected by an inclusion of one of his songs, I think from I Love You, Honey Bear, in one of Spotify's playlists. And I think it was one of the ones that the vapid electronic voices say in the song, like, like chill playlist 2000, whatever, 16 or 17 or whatever. And this is totally a song of my summer. And I think he got a lot of fans of what they would say of of Josh of Father John Misty from that feature that doesn't actually listen to his music doesn't really know what he's about and would say like I love Father John Misty he said this in the song and like he covers that actually throughout this record a lot about like at a certain point you like I, I had to come in the realization at a certain point you just can't control what people use your fake name for and in leaving LA he also kind of addresses it too where he understands like he's like probably losing a whole bunch of fans because of his uh of this music right um he, he addresses that in leaving uh la as well yeah yeah I, I, that was exactly what i was trying to think of and failing <laughs> is that like i love the line here i'll never tire of it where it's uh some 13 minute coreless diatribe plays as they all jump ship <laughs> hey i used to like this guy and like all these people that say they liked father john misty without ever actually listening to his albums and actually listening to his music you know they would hear something on a spotify playlist once and then hear like whatever new excerpt from pure comedy comes up and you're like oh i don't like this i hate this guy now and it's like well did you ever actually like him to begin with did you ever actually and more on this topic it's kind of like with ludo if you ever only heard uh, topeka and it's like, oh, I love Ludo, Topeka, right? And it's like, have you listened to Ludo? Do you know what? And I, I need to be measured here. I, I I don't want to come across as like a gatekeeper. Like, you must have listened to every song and every album to really say you're a fan of. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Well, it reminds me too, because I think I remember um, Amy, I remember her saying that, um, she met someone that said she was a huge fan of Jimmy Buffet. <laughs> oh dear. No, are you serious? Oh, I, I think I, if I remember correctly, I think that was the story, but um, I think that, I think that's an extreme, albeit example, right. Um, of it's like, well, it's like, yeah, you may love him for this and this, but it, everything's, I guess 
people are encouraged, I guess, to express the extreme, like, oh, it's I, I love this or I hate this. It's not, oh, I appreciate this of their work or I don't know. I think having understanding of that just selecting moderation of words is probably enough for people. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. It's probably more the moderation of words and um, really being an active participant. It's more encouraging being an active participant than anything else. That that's really what the crux of this is. Don't don't be passive about what music is being spoon-fed to you cuz then you're you're really you're missing out. That's that's really the summary here. It's it's more rewarding, I would argue too, because I mean, so many times in this podcast and in uh our kind of journey doing this blog, I have like changed my view or found a new appreciation of something. I mean, like hell, if we had not selected to do Father John Misty, no way in hell was I ever going to listen to this ever again. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. through my own volition. No way. It takes me to be, have to assign myself homework to listen to it. But then it's like, okay, I'm actually really glad I re-listened to this. Um, and I have a new appreciation for it. So it's, I don't know. I think it'd be, I think it could be more rewarding by going to that extra degree. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, my favorite record of all time, again, I'll say it, Help Assist Blues by Fleet Foxes. I didn't even make it through the first listen on that. I mentioned this all in my blog post, but like, I I couldn't stand one of the songs on it. Like, I, I, I wasn't, and because I wasn't actually sitting down and listening to the thing, I think I was doing homework at the time, and I'm like, I don't like this. This doesn't sound good. Stop it. But thankfully, there was just a, a little something there that was like sticking in my mind where it's like, okay, maybe, maybe I should go back and listen to it again. I think the second time I listened to it or the third time I listened to it, I actually like sat down and really listened from start to finish on it. And this time it wasn't just like Montezuma and then the rest of the record, which I didn't like. It was, oh no, this album is gorgeous. The message is gorgeous. And it, the hopefulness throughout it, it is my favorite record of all time. And if it was just something I heard in a playlist, and then maybe I I tried throwing on the album in the background one time, and I'm like, oh, I don't like this, and stopped it, I would have missed that. And I I like shudder to think of an alternate reality where I didn't discover this record. Because not, I mean, sure, favorite record of all time, like, okay, that's gone, what now? But it's not only that, it's like that album opened up the door to so many different artists and albums that I love, that I love, that I would have never started exploring, a whole world of music that I would have just been completely oblivious to had I not taken some initiative to determine what I actually like and learn what I actually like, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we, I think we talked about this to death. We talked to all circles around it, but it, it, suffice to say, definitely it, be a little bit more active in what you listen to. You, you might surprise yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take it to a little bit of a lighter note here. Please do. Smoochie, that word, dear Lord, that word. no, <laughs> So, for some people, it's moist. I figured out my moist. It's smoochy. Oh, no. Um, anyway, that's all I have to say on that song. <laughs> oh, my God. I Okay, I will, I will say, not my favorite song. <laughs> smoochy is just okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah oh my anyway. god! But there are some there are some very nice words and and uh, line drops here mm-hmm. that I do like in Smoochie about like you know his his wife comforting 
him mm-hmm. while he's kind of having an anxious breakdown, which, I mean, if you've read up about um, Josh Tillman, but poor guy ha- has had a lot of breakdowns. Um, and uh, is, is Smoochie is covering kind of one of those, one of those dark moments, and his wife is there to kind of, and kind of help him through it. And one of the lines she says is like, you know, you need to to kind of own up to this, like face that, yeah, I'm totally scared and freaking out right now and a bit kind of losing my mind and that's okay. Um, and the, the word she used in the, the song is, um, concealment feeds the fear, which mm-hmm. I love that. I love yep. that. It's a very sweet song. I would agree. It's a shame that it's smoochy and that he says it constantly throughout the song. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't bother me as much, but I can totally see why that would bother you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I also like that being said, I'm being a little jokey here. I do really appreciate this song for the reasons you suggest um or you bring up rather i also really do like the instrumentals in this they're very different i mean this sort of has like a country twang to it like oh yeah it's like where did this come from It's very interesting. Uh, but yeah, I agree. My, my favorite lyric out of this is concealment feeds the fear. I'm like, that is just such, it's very potent, just very potent, concise. And I think it's very effective. I think there's a lot that can be learned just from that one phrase in everyone's life is that, yeah, concealment, whether it be of your, say, anxiety or topic is like talking almost ever always helps. <laughs> like, and, um, for example, uh, I had a, um, I, I know some some people that have battled with with mental health and talking about the actual like disease or like their mental health as it almost diminishes it and almost makes it like I don't know yeah it, it makes it less fearful of like this thing it's like well this is just an aspect of my life I have to deal with or whatever right it it, it gets it away from the scene you have to feel like you have to hide from other people then it be, then it controls you as opposed to you controlling it right yeah exactly so i i think i've covered all of these songs in particular that i wanted to call out on now i i could theoretically talk about every single song here but i don't really have an interest in making this a three-hour podcast like we usually do because god help me i don't want to edit another three-hour podcast (laughs) so michael if you have any other songs you would wish to to call out please feel free to do so but um i i think i covered on the ones that i really had the the most burning notes for oh i thought the um because i know josh tillman has a lot of um I think he has a religious upbringing from the oh, yeah. reading I was doing. But I like the song when God, when the God of Love returns, there'll be hell to pay, because I do think there's some really fun imagery here, where you have God returning with say the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and then for listeners who may not be familiar with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, are essentially like the one of the seven judgments that God sends on uh, say Judgment Day, right? Um, so is the story in Revelations. And many, many people use this as a venue for artistic things. I mean, look at Ludo. They do it. Uh, Break the Seven Seals, Let the Horsemen Ride. And um, was it Rise of the Dragon Part 3? Fuck, it's been a while since I listened to Broken Bride. But I mean, for example, it, it's ubiquitous. People reference this a lot because it's a very iconic 
symbol in Revelations, uh, the book of Revelations in the Bible. Um, and I, I love this picture of the pale horse. So, one of the four horses that's uh, is meant to represent death, and uh, hell follows uh, follows behind where this horseman goes, and <laughs> where this <laughs> death and hell gets repulsed by the image it sees. Like, like, geez, God, you didn't leave me much to work with here. Like, this is pretty much already hell. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the pale horse looks a little sick. <laughs> yeah, um, I thought that was a, a pretty fun image that <laughs> Tillman plays with. But I also like this because you can sense and uh, a bit of the sincerity of Tillman's, say, struggle with that he's had with religion, where the hell to pay is humans to God, not vice versa in the way it's pitched in this in this song, where Tillman refers to like almost like the beef he has. Like you come down and you judge us and he's the gall to judge us. He's the gall to judge us. He's like, well let me get this clear. We are created in your image, correct? Where like I think the potent like lyric that he discusses in this is yes, it warm from the cold and to make something out of nothing Sounds like someone else I know. And I'm like, ooh. Again, you could sense the song has a lot of personal touches to it. Um, and, and and almost like he's criticizing God, like maybe you shouldn't have taken such an ambitious task or experiment. Yeah, he literally says, try something less ambitious next time. Yes. And, oh, God, I love it. The snideness of it. I could just picture Joss being like, okay, but before you kill us all, like, let me just take you on a grand tour of your creation's handiwork. Yes. <laughs> takes him through, like, department stores and <laughs> prisons. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> didn't leave me a lot here, did you? <laughs> yeah, it, it, well, I think it's potent because it, it, I mean, it, it gets into a lot of the philosophy of God where you have people arguing, say, for the existence of God, but also in the function of God. It gets really interesting because there are a lot of logical difficulties to deal with if you choose to so believe of God. And not to say that those disprove or prove either way. They're just arguments that are very difficult for people on either side of the argument to work with. Um, and I think he he deals with a lot of the similar things where, like, how did you not know what was going to happen? We were created in your image. Like, how did you not know? Why didn't you do anything to change this? And I forget which philosopher deals with this, but it's it's pretty much the logical difficulty of dealing with the definition of God as omnipotent, omniscient, and omnibenevolent. Yeah. Of all those cannot e- coexist. You can have two of the three, and that's it. Um, where essentially the argument goes, for example, if he is all-knowing and all-good, why didn't he correct this? Like, why didn't he correct this experiment? That must mean he's not all-powerful. Again, very, very much skimming the surface of that argument, but that is the essence of it, is that if you try to understand how all three of those could coexist, it's very hard to deal with logically um, and how that would actually reason out, right? And I think he kind of plays with that idea a little bit in these discussions and difficulties, and it kind of was uh, fun to revisit those those arguments and those discussions on, I guess, the philosophy, right, of of the existence, right? Yeah. And to, to springboard 
uh, and well, rather to emphasize something here again, like I mentioned before about the delicate balance between being a farce and joke the whole time and being genuinely sincere, both in equal measure. It, I mean, it would have been very easy for this song to just be one big fuck you to God, but that's not, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. The beginning, yes, has him going like, you didn't need me a lot here. Like, try something less ambitious next time. But like at the end, there's a lot, there's like an empathetic understanding about like, we're really not like our beginnings and our goals really aren't that different here. Like you wanted to be able to create something out of nothing. You wanted uh, warmth from like the nothing, the cold and like, well, that's, I mean, that's what we wanted as well. And, and that that beautiful little poetic sincerity moment at the end it ends the song on a really nice sweet note when it could have very easily ended on a very bitter, like, well, screw this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine that those moments of the sugar, the sweetness uh, there with the, the bitterness w- would be easily lost if you weren't paying close attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you might come out being like, well, this guy's just a cynical asshole. So why would I want to listen to him? Well, uh, there's a lot of sweetness and sincerity here. Yeah, exactly. And I, it kind of what I was alluding to at the beginning and we were discussing too, it's understand what he's doing. He's using the extremities and hyperbole to derive a point. And, but you bring up a great, great point that this is a great example of the sincerity and personal touch in this album where, I mean, he mentions it where the distance between the mask and the person or like the facade and the actual person, the gap closes essentially and you get a more of a glimpse at him uh, he, he i think he references that in uh leaving la that that uh, the mask in him but yeah this one uh, this one was just one of the ones i had uh some more more notes on because i i just i i don't know it struck a chord with me i mean this is something that's very relatable for everyone well i, I shouldn't say everyone most people have grown up with some sort of religious upbringing oh yeah and um i mean everyone struggles with this at some point right so I think this was kind of a fun kind of comedic way to play with the idea, but also you see a lot of the personal and the sincerity coming through. And I don't know, I still enjoyed the image of the pale horseman being like, like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think with that, we've more or less effectively covered this record by now. I think listeners, you might have a good idea of whether or not this is something you'd want to check out or not. So before we, Go to our, I guess, last impressions, uh, final thoughts. There is one quick game that I'd like to play that I asked you to prepare, Michael. Um, Mm -hmm. So this front cover, I mentioned I'd cover it. This front cover is a mess in the (laughs) best, in the (laughs) best possible way. It Mm -hmm. is filled to the brim with little angry uh, minion-y people all doing ridiculous things. There's what must be like 30 or 40 different unique scenes here that these tiny little angry minion-y people are doing. So we got like, uh, for example, um, a crazy sports game going on on the left side and some kind of religious burial ceremony on the right and tourists in the middle, a cruise ship in the back, a metric shit ton of babies at the bottom left. It's it's like a it's it's like a black and white Where's Waldo. Oh God, yes, that's it. It's like a Where's Waldo, but it's demented. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. So 
There's so much to look at in this cover. So when you listen to this record, I, I implore you, not only have the lyrics on hand, but <laughs> have a high resolution version of the album art open or get the LP and look at the album art on the LP. But look at the digital booklet. Yeah, the booklet has a whole wide view. I think the album art crops at the aspect ratio, right? Uh, let me see here. Um, no, I would suggest people, you can get the digital booklet if you want, but the actual album art itself uh has more at the bottom that is cut off from the oh, digital booklet i didn't know i was getting off the digital booklet my mind. oh no <laughs> yeah no, okay. there's a whole bottom section which a lot of my favorite scenes are in so unfortunately michael i think your picks were a little bit restricted but at the same time there's a lot of stuff to pick here so um i'm gonna cover i'm gonna cover first uh my picks so there was a lot of contenders here. Um, I mentioned before the sports game, which uh, I can only describe it as sports ball, uh, Calvin ball. It makes no sense what's going on here. You got a person with a net, a person with a, a twig, a dog on a, uh, a string that looks Chainsaw. very, very sad. A pineapples. lot of pineapples. Yeah, exactly. Um, one guy's eyeballs just fell out. Um, one guy with, with mittens, like not, not. A, a baseball mitten like as in like those big foam mittens and um a lady who's keeping track of the score and looks like she's dead inside there's uh the score is nine to h by the way so um <laughs> you know go, go team h um and you got the onlookers as well we got half of the onlookers looking incredibly pissed off and the other half like enlightened just ecstatic it, it's delightful um mm-hmm. that is not my pick though it is Truly delightful. Um, and then I, I have to call attention to the Pope ball uh, over in the right-hand corner. Um, it's the Pope. He's a ball. He's shaking maracas. I don't know what else to say <laughs> about him. Um, he he does not look like a man that can be trusted. I would not trust the Pope ball. Um, no. Uh, but he is not my pick, alas. We do have another delightful scene of uh, some... Uh, medics rushing a poor mouse that looks like he's on his last legs on a stretcher and at the same time trampling a man who is out walking his dog yeah. <laughs> which is just so great well well this is all right next to the cult uh gathering holding hands around the campfire with the michelin man with the calendar on his head oh like, of course we, we can't forget about that <laughs> we can't forget <laughs> about that um burning what looks like not books but uh, receipts? I don't... I, I mean, maybe it is books. No, I can see the books. They're burning books. Uh, yeah. Delightful. <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah, no. And then we got um, uh, the wedding ceremony at the bottom. And unfortunately, Michael, I think this is cut out for you. I think so, too. Yeah. We have a man that just looks incredibly pissed off um a woman that you can't see like she's got a veil like you can only see her eyeballs <laughs> and a priest holding up a knife as if he's about to stab someone like and right over the cake <laughs> and it's like this summoning circle you got the cake you got the cash you got a toaster and you got all these home appliances and everyone's bowing and worshiping for the religious marriage ceremony that's about to partake and it's ridiculous it is just absolutely ridiculous i love it not my pick my pick for my favorite scene on the front cover is in the middle bottom where you got these balding tired looking old men all having magazines porny magazines open up to a page and they have 
uh, different fishing rods. One uh, has uh, cash as the lure, another hand has roses, another one has a, 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 a necklace, and there's a woman, a naked woman face down in the pit that they're fishing for. <laughs> it's, oh my god. It's terrible, and I love it. So, I I highly <laughs> encourage listeners, this is what you can expect on the uh, front cover, so I implore you, give it a look. Um, Michael, what, what, do you, what do you see here? What is your favorite scene? I know what you're talking about. I'm trying to find it again, because I know I have it on the digital booklet, because I've seen it before. I, I have the digital booklet, man. The full one is not there. No! I know I I I've seen it. I I it's definitely here. Not in the digital booklet. No, no, we're, we're it, doing it's, this. It's in the album art itself. No, I'm finding it. Um, take a break, listeners. Take a break. Ah, <sighs> you might be right. Yeah, they they are cut off. I, I'm looking at the digital booklet right now. They're like they're straight up not there. Uh, makes me sad. Okay, all right. I may have uh, looked at the Elmar and confused the two. Um, okay, okay. So there are a couple. I did the digital booklet, so I have the back cover of the digital booklet at the end. Oh, you went to the back cover? That's cheating, but I'll allow it. What, 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 um, what in the back cover has caught your but, attention? Uh, but I, I'll, I'll also discuss the first. So <laughs> the first, there's there's a couple. I, I was able to decide. There is some Blues Brothers style priests with black aviators and just the little priest collar thing and blues brothers hats almost waterboarding or drowning someone in the baptismal fountain <laughs> right next to the to the guys w- lifting weights in the trees just to the right um i gotta chuckle out of that one so that's uh up there as one of my picks <laughs> that was a good one um i also really enjoy to the left right to the south of the uh, sports ball corner. It's the circle of life depicted where you have oh, it's so good. You have the mouse going for some cheese on a mouse trap. Then you have a bald eagle going down trying to capture the mouse. And you have an illegal hunter shooting the bald eagle, and then a bear licking its <laughs> lips about to eat the hunter. <laughs> like it's a circle of life. I know, yeah. um, as for the back cover, some of my favorites are actually on the back cover. Um, the back cover. Um, so we have, dear Lord, we have a, <laughs> what's the character's name from Hercules? The guy that's like the half little horse thing. That's the trainer. Uh, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. Phil. That, that, you have that character with a piano, guitar, keyboard thing. This poor man on top of a TV that has this yelling pundit on the TV and you have this nun striking him with what appears to be a dildo and then you have this, <laughs> i didn't even notice the dildo. then you have this like half horse guy like hitting him with this keyboard guitar and right next to it you have this guy with his feet in a blender with a banana and some other produce with spatula smiling as he's in the blender it's so ridiculous and you also have this cow milking this man or trying to milk this man yeah the cow looks pissed by oh the way. my god uh, this scene that scene has to be my favorite with an honorable mention of this random lady like a body in mid-air body slam with a yes. holding chair <laughs> 
doing doing a, a WWD style <laughs> slam down and some poor sap some poor sap down below. We don't know who because it's oh, a big crowd. God. But she's gonna get them, whoever they are. Oh my god, this this art's ridiculous. It's hysterical. If we got to the back cover, I might as well call it my favorite one for the back cover. In the bottom right, he's right there. This bald man is looking at sheet music. It's Empty, save for a single sad <laughs> note at the last page. He's got a gun to his head. It's just, just like, well, fuck this. It's <laughs> terrible. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. It's, oh, god. it's it's kind of sad how this one kid sitting behind the TV with a face painted on a football having a tea party with it. Like, that's sad. <laughs> like, well, sad. It's, it's a lot. It's it's a lot to take okay. in this album art, but it's well, quite that's it. Fun. That was that was that was the game I wanted to play. Um, thank you for participating. Um, so final final impressions. Um, so I I'm gonna go first selfishly. Um, this is one of my favorite records of all time. Now I've I've talked again about my number one. I was disposed by few boxes, but um, this is top five, and I'd have to sit down and really think about it because it's going to be a tough one but it might be top three too um it's it's really up there i can always come into this and always find something new to appreciate whether that's something in the album art i haven't seen before a a lyric that i missed the joke on the past like two dozen times listened to, but just now got the 25th time I've listened to it, or some new instrumentation detail that I missed before, or some production note that I thought was really well done. There's so much here, and I know you mentioned that it's light on the instrumentation. Yes and no. Um, first of all, the top, the first uh, four songs here, what I would consider to be the first part of the record, are all gorgeous lushly produced and filled out with instruments it is filled it is gorgeous and then the rest of the album is more stripped back and uh subtle so uh you got that detail there so you got some changes there to mix up the monotony of either having it all be stripped back or all be lush all the time so there's just so much variety and then there's like little things like in pure comedy about like you know these mammals are hellbent on fashioning new gods so they can go on being godless animals when he says when they so they can go on being godless animals there's some subtle effect that's done to his voice so it's like it's kind of like split in left and right speakers but offset ever so slightly uh kind of like an automatic double track it might not be it might be i i couldn't quite deduce that but uh it's it suddenly feels like louder and more encompassing than the rest of his vocals throughout the song so there's like all kinds of little details like that that are just fun little snacks along this audible journey so yes there's that and then there's just that I love the dark comedy. I love the sincerity. I love the ridiculousness of it, the farce of it. it there's just so much here and so much variety. Um, so I can't help but love it every time I come to it. And I return to it actually a lot. So it, this is this is up there. I I forgot that that was in your at least top five. I I forgot about that. Um, I don't know if at, I ever said it. <laughs> no, I, I think I remember you have, because I've asked you a couple of times before. We occasionally check on, because on, I mean, the top 10 for us is a dynamic list. So we occasionally check in. And I believe that this was in the top 10. I remember being kind of confused because that was back when I didn't really listen to it all the way. 
And I would say, so I got a lot of enjoyment talking to you about this and listening to it. But um, I'm placing this in the same bucket as Benji for me. Oh, okay. Where there's so much to enjoy and appreciate out of both, but it's not going to be a a go-to album for me. Um, I would say it's going to be rare if I revisit it. Um, Just because there aren't very many scenarios where I actively choose to active listen on my own. That's why I really like this podcast and this um, and this blog because it forces me to build that in because I do really enjoy it. It's just usually not something that is my first impulse. So I don't know. I don't I don't see myself revisiting this a whole bunch in the future, but that's not any reflection on the quality of this record. It's purely more of context and in the right mindset or mood for consuming it uh that that's why i would kind of place it in the same bucket as bungie no that's totally fair i can definitely see this being like a bit much to listen to on the regular um i can definitely see this being something you need to be in a particular mood to listen to or a particular state of mind which is again going back to why i was trying to instill in our audience like trying to get them to to see what the what i would say is the optimal mindset for going to this record to get the most out of it as opposed to it just kind of going of your head or uh having an immediate like you know revulsion to it so yeah i can definitely see all those factors uh, uh resulting in me in not being a frequent listen but then not necessarily being an indication of uh poor quality you know so yeah of course i i would say the only quality thing that i will probably comment on with regards to this album that would make it less likely to be on my top 10 even if i were to listen to it more is i get fatigued by it if i'm being at all honest it is long it's an hour and 15 minutes it is long that being said it's it's but it's not structured like albums are meant to be piecemeal listened to that's just kind of difficult about it it's not like say the epic where you have three discs and it's very easy just pick a disc and listen mm-hmm. to the disc yeah um so it's kind of hard to like tackle this or like know where to tackle it so it yeah i guess that's why i was kind of alluding to you at the beginning it's very easy to grow tiresome of the hyperbole of the critiques and in that tiresome it's very easy to slip into the mentality of like oh this guy's just being like an angsty teenager and that's not at all my viewpoint but it's very easy to start thinking that once you get tired and you've been listening to this album for a long time. Because it's like, you want something new and different. And what I will say is that the variety isn't very stark in this album, where his delivery is very much kind of samey yeah, throughout this I, I can see that. Throughout this album. Um, and the lyrics are... Like you bring up good points. There are aspects where they do shine, but I would argue that those areas are easy to miss because there's so much with the lyrics yeah there's a lot of lyrics so i guess those are my own my only comments with regards to my subjective opinion on i guess the quote-unquote quality i don't think there is actually anything though like quality wrong i guess it's more my comments on my enjoyment of it because like there really isn't anything that's like oh this is mixed poorly or this is like objectively bad yeah yeah, no i wouldn't say there is no 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 there is not so i guess i should try to clarify with that there's nothing like quality 
bad about it. It's just, again, being in the right mood and context and it being just a difficult thing to wrestle with and, and work with. So, yeah, no, that's all totally fair. It is kind of at that unfortunate length with it being an hour and 15 minutes where it's, it's not quite a comfortable divided listen. You can't, there's not really a distinct disc one and disc two to break up. Um, but at the same time, it's a really long one listen. Um, I love those long listens. If it's any indication at how long our podcasts are, like I'm fine with things being long. Um, I'm totally cool with that. But at the same time, if you know, you find it particularly easy to like start to lose interest halfway through. And I will, I will say to your defense, like after the first four songs, which are all very instrumentally lush and dense, it does become very like stripped back. And I don't want to say simple, but more um, rustic throughout the rest of the record, basically. So it is very easy to kind of lose that momentum near the two thirds part of the record. Uh, so, yeah, no, those are all really valid points for sure. But yeah, no, I'm really glad that I, I think you liked it more than I thought you would. I wouldn't expect you to have put it in the same category as Benji, which I it's good, but I just I can't listen to it all the time. So it's like, OK, wow. All right. Thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, So cool. Yep. So this this same bucket for me, I would say my appreciation of it was it's directly correlated to my attitude going in. If I'm not in the mood. I'm going to be like, fuck off, angsty teenager. I do not want your shit right now. But if I am in the attitude of being open and understanding the context through which he's doing it and you frame it up perfectly, like he's using hyperbole, he's being exaggerating, switching perspective to get home his point. Um, Having that attitude really makes, gives context to this easy to understand in terms of like the contextual history context of it. And then it's a lot easier to get rid of those knee jerk reactions and look at it be like, okay, there's a lot of good here and it gets you thinking. And there's something great to be said about an album that actually gets you to think. So, um, I don't know, a plus in that respect for me for, for this one. I have nothing more to say. I think we've covered this to the fullest extent. So listeners, please, uh, if, if you're out there, feel free to reach out to us uh, at our Twitter handle at Bad Music Hertz. That has to be the Hertz like the car company. We don't have two separate handles on Twitter, but you can add us there. Or if you want to check out the show notes, you can do so in your podcast player, or you can go to badmusichurts.com. And we'll see you next episode, whatever album that is. We still need to discuss that and figure that out. But um, I'm looking forward to that and uh, hope to see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in and take care. Um, I just heard that's Kai. Hi, Kai. Um, anyway.